So now typically at this time in the service, if it was a regular Sunday morning, now we all know it's not a regular Sunday morning. But if it were, it was at this time that I would dismiss kids to children's church. But today, there is no children's church. Today, we do have a nursery. So if you've got a little one who's uh, zero or one years, zero years old, up, up, to, up to two years old, we've got a nursery for them. Or if you've got a two-year-old or a three-year-old who's starting to really uh, kind of rush around a little bit and need some space, we've got a, a, a spot for them as well. And so feel free uh, if they need space to go do that. And I think, Jeremy McKinney, are there still some blue folders in the back there behind you? We've got uh, back by the doors, if you've got any other kid of any age who's really just wishing that there was something to do while that guy in the front talks, we've got some little kids activity pages back there that will also point them to Jesus, Uh, but feel free to hop up and go grab one of those little blue kids activity packs if they need something to look at just for the next couple minutes while I talk to you about some scriptural stuff. Um, Have any of you been, um, have any of you been kind of overwhelmed by marketing in the last couple of weeks? Have any of you noticed the commercials on TV? If, if you're a TV person or the stuff that pops up in your email or on your browser, the thing, buy this, go get that, be ready for the season, right? Have you, have you been noticing how much people want to sell to you? There's all kinds of advertising, all kinds of promises. If you want to have a great Christmas, you know, go buy new sweatshirts, this, this whole kind of thing, right? Because this is the essential stuff. Here's what I want to ask you, what I want to think about with you for a little bit today is what you've gotten living up to the hype. How many of you opened at least one gift already today? Like you opened a present that somebody, come on, raise them high. Don't be ashamed. It's all right. All right. Now, how many of you, how many of you predicted perfectly what was in that gift? Any of you, Christian, you, you picked it out. You, you knew exactly what, were any of you, were, so, so dad didn't give you like a, a, a watch and wrap it in a refrigerator box or something like that. It didn't fake you out that way. Any of you ever have that happen to you? Any of, any of you, those kind of creative gift wrappers that you, you have something small to give, but you buy the big package to give it, or, or maybe you hid something out in the garage or in the basement or at, or at uncle Mike's house for a couple days so that they wouldn't see it. I'm, I'm amazed, and, and one of the really fun things, honestly, um, th- that I enjoy about giving and receiving gifts is kind of being surprised, but it's amazing how packaging can be deceptive. Sometimes, especially, and I can remember Christmases as a kid, looking at some of the things under the tree, and mom never put labels on the gifts under our tree when we were kids. She had some system, and she put numbers on them so that on Christmas morning, only she knew who got which, because she knew that us kids would probably go and we'd poke at them and, and we'd shake them and move them around and jostle them because you want to see and you want to guess and you want to see if you can figure out what you might be getting, right? And then on Christmas morning, does it live up to the hype or not? This is always the thing that parents go through, right? Do they like what we got? Is it enough? And are our kids, are our kids well-adjusted enough to be thankful just for anything that they get? But it's interesting, even as an adult, I, uh, I got a package just this week and it came in this box, this, this very box was delivered to my front door, and I didn't know what it was. Like, I mean, you know, I kind of looked at it quick, and what, what is this? And Bree said, Dad, you got a package, and I didn't let her open it because it's Christmas, and, and, and I haven't ordered so many things that I'm forgetting what they are, but I thought, what in the world? And so I was a little bit interested, and so I opened it up when I got home, and what I found is that inside was the... Uh, the Energizer uh, remote control batteries that I had ordered on Amazon. 
they were a couple dollars, and I needed them quick, but I didn't want to run out. And so I, I clicked them, and I, uh, I got these, and they came the next day in this box. There was no packaging, no bubble wrap, nothing else in there, in that entire box, except the batteries. And that just baffled me because it wasn't what I expected. I figured there'd be, there'd be something else, and frankly, I was a little disappointed. I was hoping that there'd be something really cool. It was just Energizer 2032. No, I knew that whatever was in there I had already paid for. I knew that whatever was in there I had already decided to buy it, or else it probably wouldn't have come to my place. But it was a... It was a strange situation, almost a little bit of a letdown. Like, really? That was all that drama just for that? We've been talking really for the past year about our Savior, Jesus Christ. We looked at how the story of Jesus was told through the Gospel of Mark. And last week, we, we looked at how the birth of Jesus was foretold in the Gospel of Matthew. And today we're going to examine the announcement of Jesus' birth in the Gospel of Luke. And I want you to pay attention and just kind of think in the back of your mind, is what we get living up to the hype? Because there's a lot of hype here. Let's, let's check it out. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says, In those days, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. You've heard this story before, right? This is not a surprise for you on a Christmas morning that we might read from Luke chapter 2. But here, just for a moment, let's remember what's going on here. This Caesar Augustus fellow is noted. And some of you are really excellent history scholars, and you remember the Caesars of Rome. But just in case you've forgotten your 10th grade history, this Caesar Augustus, he was born 63 BC. He died 14 AD. And so he was alive, and he was, he was kind of at the peak of his political powers when Jesus was born. Caesar Augustus, of course, was not his name. It was a title. Caesar means emperor. Augustus, we get our word August from that, although most of us don't use that as, a, as an adjective anymore. But Augustus means esteemed. So the esteemed emperor, Caesar Augustus. Julius Caesar, you've heard that name. That was his great uncle. And this Caesar Augustus, who's discussed in Luke chapter 2, was an excellent administrator. He was the one, really, who brought the most glory to the, the creation of the Roman Empire. He was known in his empire as the bringer of peace. How many of you heard of, or you can recall, way back in those history classes, that phrase, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome? Do you remember that, that, that Rome was supposedly to have brought in, brought in, Rome was supposedly to have brought to the empire the Pax Romana, that was initiated by this Caesar Augustus. He was such an administrator and such a politician that all of Rome and the huge expanding Roman Empire with all of their roads and all of their armies, he organized that and brought it together in such a way that all the little factions stopped fighting for a while. And for about 200 years, this Pax Romana existed so that this Roman Empire could become the historical figure that it is. On his deathbed, this, Julie, or this uh, Caesar Augustus was the one who said that he found Rome a brick, but he left it marble. He was worshipped, literally worshipped by people in the Roman Empire because of all of his conquests, all of his political maneuvering, all of his administration, and he was known as the bringer of peace for Rome. But did he bring peace? I mean, that's what was advertised. That was what was proclaimed. That was the hype. 
But what did he really bring? I guess it depends on your perspective. If you were a Roman citizen, it was pretty exciting because you're winning. Your guy is bringing you peace. Nobody's going to bother you. His roads were helpful. You know the Roman roads. That was part of the network that helped the empire to grow. His roads were helpful for Christians. This was part of the reason why it was so easy for Christians to spread the gospel throughout the world so quickly in the time of Jesus because of all the roads that the Romans had built. And so there were good things that happened because of the work of Rome and the Caesars, and especially here, Caesar Augustus. But his armies, as they took over most of Europe, I wonder how many people felt like the Roman armies were really bringing peace. It was peace that looked an awful lot like a sword. Sometimes peace depends on your perspective. And it makes you wonder, am I getting what was promised? That's just a little bunny trail about Caesar Augustus so we can remember what's going on, what's happening in this world when we hear about this child being born. It says in verse 4 of Luke chapter 2, that because there was this census and because Caesar had called for this, Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. If you want to see some of the details of that, look at Matthew chapter 1, like many of us did last week, and you can see that indeed Joseph is in the line of David. He had to go back to his hometown because these censuses, they were for two main purposes. First was to make sure that they were taxing everyone properly. Second was to register for military service. Now, Jewish folks were exempt from military service with Rome, but here's a lot of taxation issues happening. So Joseph got up, went to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and lion of David. It says in verse 5 of Luke chapter 2, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and who was expecting a child. I've heard... uh, Different people ask why, why Mary went along with him. If, if Joseph was the representative for his family and if Joseph just had to go to his hometown, why take your pregnant wife along with you? I had some fun reading about that these past couple weeks. But here's the question that, that came up in a, in a number, of, number of folks' minds and then it kind of hit me hard. People have said, well, why take Mary over that difficult journey? Why would she have to go there? We know, of course, that it was foretold in Micah that that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, but but did did Mary really have to go along with him? And then it occurred to me, do you remember what we talked about last week? Joseph had a dream, right? Or I'm sorry, a vision of an angel. An angel came to Joseph and said, Mary is pregnant because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And her child, in fact, Joseph, now your child, is to be named Jesus, and he's going to be the savior of many people, going to save them from their sins. And it occurred to me that while a husband might want to protect his pregnant wife from a long and difficult journey, he probably also wouldn't want to miss the birth, would he? I mean, how would you feel if you were called away on a business trip while your wife was pregnant, could, could have a child any moment, and it's going to be the savior of the world? He'd say, well, yeah, I'll just go by myself. Honey, stay home. Good luck. Have fun. I'll see you when I get back. I wonder if, you know, all of this is working together to fulfill the Lord's prophecy. Even, even the decree of Caesar Augustus is working together to fulfill the truth of God's prophecies. God said the Savior, hundreds of years ago, he had said the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. How does the Savior get born in Bethlehem? Well, partly because there's, there's a census decreed by Caesar, partly because Mary and Joseph went there together, partly perhaps because Joseph didn't want to leave his wife home alone to have their first child. In fact, she was living in Nazareth. It was not her hometown. That was where, that was where Joseph had been. 
And I wonder too, remember at this point, Mary is pregnant. They are not fully married yet. So there would have been some scandal here. People would have been noticing by this time that she was pregnant and she should not be according to Jewish and scriptural requirements. I wonder if there was any gossip that she would have been dealing with. I wonder if there were any people talking about this, this young woman I mean, Joseph had been told in a dream that she was pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mary knew that she was pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. There was no sin. There was no illicit sexuality happening here. But what do you think the neighbors thought? Perhaps Mary said, Joseph, you are not leaving me here with these folks. There's a fellow named Leon Morris who had an interesting commentary on Luke, and here's what he said. Quote, we should perhaps reflect that it was the combination of a decree by an emperor in distant Rome and the gossiping tongues of Nazareth that brought Mary to Bethlehem just in time to fulfill the prophecy about the birthplace of the Christ, recorded in Micah 5.2. God works through all kinds of people to affect his purposes. There's a lot going on in this story, isn't there? The bottom line is God is working. Now, is the result living up to the hype. Well, let's see. Look at verse 6 of Luke chapter 2. While they were there, that is in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And she, that is Mary, gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Her firstborn. Her firstborn. That means that there are going to be others. And in fact, there are. We read in the Gospels that Jesus had brothers and sisters. There are other ones named. There are, uh, I, I know there are doctrines going around in other, um, in, in other church traditions that say that Mary was a virgin forever. Not, doesn't seem to be su- supported by Scripture here. She had her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them at an inn or anywhere placed him in a manger. Verse eight, we see now an announcement made to these shepherds. The birth has happened. We hear about it. We read about it here from Luke. Now in verse eight, it says, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Any of you scholars want to go home today and think a little bit more about the glory of the Lord? Here are some things that you might ponder. You might think about the book of Exodus. Do you remember when Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days to be with the Lord and God gave him the law? Do you remember as Moses came back down to the people, what did they have to do with him so that he wouldn't scare all the folks who hadn't been on the mountain? What did they do? Do you remember what they did? They put a veil over Moses' face. After he had been with the Lord up on the mountain for 40 days, this is back in the book of Exodus, start looking around... um, And you can poke around and see this story over and over and over again in Exodus 24 and in Exodus 40, and we can see the glory of the Lord in 1 Kings chapter 8. Moses had been up on the mountain with the Lord, has been there for 40 days, and he came down. His face was so radiant. There was light coming off of him in such a way that folks said, Moses, you need to put a veil over your face until this dies down because none of the people can concentrate. You're scaring them. That's the glory of the Lord. Okay? That's what these shepherds are seeing when we read about this angel of the Lord appearing to them and the glory of the Lord shining around them. In the middle of the night, there is such a light. Just last evening after Bree went to bed, Mel and I were sitting up and, and kind of getting ready for Christmas and we saw red flashing lights go past our house. Now, we were in the room at the back of our house. We weren't, we weren't out by the road. We didn't, we didn't see the lights, but we could see the red lights bouncing off of our neighbor's property. And and now this is only 10 o'clock at night here in Oxford where there's still some 
some light in the sky, right? We were not even in a totally dark room. We weren't out in the middle of a field, but we could see, and and there was just enough that it kind of bothers what's going on. And then we saw the second light go down. No sirens, didn't hear loud roaring engines, just saw red lights flashing. Is everybody okay? Are our neighbors okay? We have a couple of elderly neighbors that have ambulances come from time to time. How are they? So we got up and walked to the front door, looked out, didn't see anything. But you know, we could notice that light, though. It got our attention, and it was a little bit unsettling for a while. What do you think it might have been like if you were a shepherd out in the field in this dark, dark, dark place? And then the angels show up, and the glory of the Lord shines around you. What happened? Well, they were, to say, they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws lying in a manger. That's a pretty good sign for a couple shepherds. Shepherds, how are you going to know that this is the right baby? Well, he'll be wrapped in claws. Okay, well, that happens. Lying in a manger. Oh, okay, that baby, right? Which baby is it? (laughs) The one in a manger. There's not a bunch of them in Bethlehem tonight. And the shepherds certainly knew what a manger was. Here is the Lord working out all of these details in such a way that there is no doubt that this is the one who has come from the Lord. And so these shepherds out in the fields, in front of this angel, seeing the glory of the Lord, being overwhelmed, terrified, they hear this announcement. It seems like it might be enough, but God couldn't help himself. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host. When God does a birth announcement, he does a birth announcement. A great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Someday, for those of us who believe in Jesus, when we die, we will get to see some of these angels face to face. Someday we will get to experience the glory of the Lord directly. Someday we might get to hear that angel choir sing and we will be able to experience what those shepherds experienced. For now, we read about it and we have to imagine, but what must it have been like for those shepherds out in that field Not only to see an angel and to hear the announcement about the baby in the manger, but then just for this whole chorus to open up. Do any of you ever shiver when you hear really good choral music? Any of you that way? I'm getting to the spot, I don't know what it is about me. I start to cry sometimes. When I, in in my age, maybe maybe I'm losing it, I'm not sure. But there are certain times when I hear particular songs, oftentimes songs that you might categorize as more of the classical kind of songs, when I hear them done well, performed well, either instrumentally or chorally, it it stirs up something inside of me. How many of you love the Hallelujah Chorus? Sung well by a large choir with a good orchestra. Does that ever stir any of you? Oh, it moves me. And that's just when us people do it. What do you think it might sound like? What do you think it might feel like to be in the presence of this kind of an announcement? Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. (laughs) Verse 15, look at what happened. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, conscience over, the shepherds said to each other, well, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing. 
which the Lord has told us about. So what? So they hurried off. They didn't say, well, let's make sure that these sheep and that's... No, this made a difference in their life. This impacted them, right? They hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. They've seen the advertisement. They've heard the pitch. And it must have lived up to their expectations because look how these shepherds, these very common folks, these folks who had a job to do, look how they responded further. In verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. All who heard them speak were amazed at these shepherds. Shepherds didn't typically amaze people. Shepherds were not at the top of the social ladder in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Shepherds were not known for their intelligence. They were not known for their cunning, and they were not known for their ability to work with people. There was a job why these guys were, or a reason why these guys were sent out working the fields. Why don't you just watch the sheep? And yet, this announcement was brought to them. They saw the child. I wonder what the shepherds talked about with Mary and Joseph. I hope to ask them someday. They saw the child and they hurried off. And, and then after they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child and all who heard it were amazed. But Mary treasured up all these things, verse 19, and pondered them in her heart. Mary, did you know? Yeah, she knew. She knew. It's a nice song. It's an interesting set of questions, isn't it? But Mary knew what was going on. An angel had spoken to her and said, your child is going to be the Savior. And now, while the shepherds are hurrying around and making their announcements as everything is happening, Mary is treasuring up all of these things and pondering them in her heart. And then in verse 20, had you ever noticed this? I've got to be honest with you. I've studied this passage a lot of times, perhaps not as closely as I should have. I never really had processed verse 20 before. After all this happened, and after the shepherds went out and told, told all the town what happened, it says the shepherds returned glorifying and praising gods for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Did they return out to their fields or did they return back to Mary and Joseph? Well, they came back somewhere, still glorifying and praising God for all the things they heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. It lived exactly up to its billing. The advertisement was just as it said, this is the Savior, and they were blown away. Mary and Joseph and these shepherds all had the birth of this child, this Savior, announced to them at one time or another, and now it was finally here. You and I have all been let down by the hype before, haven't we? We've all even anticipated, we've imagined events in our minds, and, and this is how it's going to be, and it's going to be the perfect, and I'm going to set it up, and I have it all planned, and all the reservations are made, and everything, and, and we work it up in our minds, and it's going to be perfect. It's going to be the perfect, the perfect engagement, the perfect date, the perfect Valentine's Day, the perfect anniversary, the perfect wedding, the perfect Christmas. I have planned for this. I have worked up to this, and I have prepared for this, but how many of us have been let down even in those things? How many of us have still some regrets? Oh, I should have done it differently. Oh, I should have got the red roses, not the pink roses. I forgot she doesn't like the pink roses. We've all been let down by the hype before. Some of you might have even been let down today. You wouldn't admit it to the person who gave you the gift, but you opened it and said, oh, thank you. I've, I've wanted one of these for a while. And now you're wondering, how can you use it in such a way that it looks like you like it? 
you're, you're wondering, should I tell them I'm really an extra large and they got me a small? You know, what, what do I do? Do I return this or do I? Oh, right. We've all been left down by the hype at some point or another, but I'm here to tell you the same thing that Mary and Joseph and these shepherds realized Jesus lived up to the hype. There was nothing that was talked about as far as, as far as what God said about Jesus that Jesus did not deliver. In, uh, in Isaiah chapter 53, and I'm, I'm going to end with this. In Isaiah chapter 53, this is written about 800 years before Jesus' birth. This is what God inspired Isaiah to write down about the Savior. It says this, starting in the middle of verse 2, Isaiah 53, He, that is the Messiah to come, had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Isaiah 53, 5 says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he would divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is who this baby Jesus grew up to be. This is what he grew up to do. Just as advertised, he fulfilled it all. God does not give us false advertisements. God doesn't trick us and, and, and put little presents in big boxes. God says, I'm bringing you a child. He will be your savior. He'll be born in Bethlehem to a virgin. Bang, there it is. This is the power, the promise, and the love of our Lord. I'm sorry, I fibbed to you just a minute ago. It wasn't on purpose. I said that Isaiah was the last thing I'm going to, it's not the last thing I'm going to read. I'm going to read one more set of promises to you, and this comes from the very end of your Bible. It comes from Revelation chapter 21. We read in Isaiah about who the Savior would be. We read in Luke about who the Savior was. We've been studying through the book of Mark this year to see exactly what the Savior did and how he did it all. And now I want to read you one more promise, one more advertisement for what God is doing. And if we can, if we can see God's realization of all of the advertisements before, I hope that you can find Hope in the advertisement of what is about to come. This is what we are looking forward to, Christians. This is what Jesus is about to do, because we know it hasn't all been done yet. We know that even though we've received a Savior in Jesus Christ, there is a lot of wrong that still needs to be made right. This is why we light these candles in Advent. We remember that while we celebrate the birth of our Savior, we still anticipate the return of a triumphant King Jesus 
What is that about? What is it that we're waiting for? What is it that gives us hope in our life today, even though things fall apart, even though bodies and minds fail, even though other things do not live up to the hype? What are we looking forward to? It's this. Revelation 21. God gave John a vision, and John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, where we're living now, had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said to John, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. We celebrate the birth of Jesus, not only because of what he's accomplished in his life already in saving us from our sins when we believe in him, but we also celebrate Jesus today looking forward to the truth of what has been advertised, looking forward to the realization of the hype of a new heaven and a new earth where there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more mourning or crying or shame. This is the promise of the Lord, and we believe it because he has fulfilled every promise so far. This is why we bother coming to a worship service on a Christmas Sunday morning where there are so many other things that any of us could be doing. This is why we bother to sing praises to our king and not just, hey, it's fun that it's wintertime, right? This is why we bother because we have a savior and that savior has given us a promise that says I'm coming back and all things will be made right. This is what I'm holding on to for Christmas, and I can't wait to see how the Lord delivers on his promise. Will you pray with me, church? Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for this chance to be together today, for this chance to worship you today, and for this chance to come together being reminded of our hope. Lord, you have done great and amazing things. We, we don't want to overlook anything that you've done already. Lord, you have delivered to us a Savior. You've given us your Son. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He has saved us from our sins when we confess our sins in him. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you have given us the hope of life eternal. And you have given us the hope of a new heaven and a new earth when all evil will be eradicated, when all grief and all pain will be forgotten. When you will live with us, we will live with you. Lord, help us to hold on to that hope today, no matter what's happening around us, no matter what goes on in this broken and dark world. Lord, help us today. Help us today to be able to live with the hope that knows that you're coming back, that you will not leave us, you will not forsake us. But Lord, in the middle of it all, you indeed live up to the hype, and Lord, you have given a great hype you have. Lord, you've told us of amazing things. We've seen some of them come true already. Lord, we wait for more. Thank you, God, for being trustworthy and true. Help us now to be hopeful and waiting as the day approaches. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, who was not just a baby in a manger, 
but who is our Savior in heaven on high. We pray in his name. Amen.